blood. The blood, exactly. Sister Nancy, you're on board with me? <laughs> exactly. We're going to be talking about the power of the blood of Jesus. Today is sermon number 20, title number 19. And um, I, I'm sad to say we have, I think, two more sermons to go, and that's it. Um, we have two more passages, one in John chapter 6 and one in Hebrews chapter 10. And by the grace of God, once we study these in the next couple of weeks, we'll have, by the grace of God, every single verse in the whole New Testament that mentioned the blood of Jesus that we have talked about. I'm very excited about that. So, yeah, it's coming to an end. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I, I personally learned a lot. I hope that's the case with you as well. I definitely, God opened so many scriptures to me in a way that I didn't even understand what it says before. Um, after that, uh, probably, I think everybody has some, thanks, everybody has some, right? Um, after that, I'm thinking uh, we're going to talk about the power of the name of Jesus. Um, we're now going through the power of the blood of Jesus. After that, we're going to talk about the power of the name of Jesus. I promise you it's going to be a whole lot shorter than 23 weeks, okay? <laughs> All right, so if you have your Bibles or if you have the notes, we're going to read today from 1 John 5, 5 to 12. This is what the Apostle John said. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 6. This is the one who, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testifies, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Amen? Amen. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And this is the testimony. Amen. I love it when the Bible gives us the definition. We don't have to figure it out on our own. This is the testimony that the father testifies about the son that is witnessed by the spirit, the blood and the water. Here it is. Is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not has the Son of God does not have the life. Amen. So today, um, this is one of the difficult passages in the scripture, especially verse 6. The one talking about Jesus and said, he's the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not with the water only, but with the water and in the blood and the spirit that testifies. It's, it's uh, difficult. Uh, it's hard to understand what John is actually trying to tell us here. So in order to discuss that and talk about the blood that testifies, we're going to talk about three different points today. Point one and two, kind of an introduction, going to be a long introduction. And then the sermon is actually point three. But we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about in that passage, there are some textual problems, there is some problem in the text, and then there are some exegetical problems, what is the meaning behind these words, what does John is trying to tell us, there are some problems in that as well, and then we're going to talk about what does the blood testify to, amen, so three points, 
Number one, textual problems. How many of you guys read King James or New King James? You have it in your hand or usually read. I read New King James at home myself. So if you read King James or New King James, you're going to find that this passage is slightly different than the one we just read. It reads in King James and New King James, verse 7, is, is, there's a whole new verse in that translation that we don't have almost in any other translation. This verse 7 reads like this. For there are three that bears witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And then verse 8. And these are, uh, and these are three that bear witnesses on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are one. If you have King James and New King James, you're going to find there's a verse there that is not in our in NIV, ESV, and ASB. All the other translations don't have it. And the reason is... The most accurate, oldest manuscripts, Greek manuscripts that we have, doesn't have that verse. Verse 7 seems to be an addition that happened later on by a scribe. Somebody who was trying to do a commentary on that verse, they wrote a margin note, and apparently eventually that actually got into that text. Amen? Why I'm telling you this? Because this is very important. I remember when I was in college... And um, that was the first time I've been talking to a Jehovah Witness. And uh, the guy was like, I was like, so you're, I'm telling him, you're a Jehovah Witness? He's like, yeah. So it's like, so you don't believe in the Trinity? He's like, yeah, I don't. I was like, how come you don't believe in the Trinity when the Bible is so clear about it? He's like, where is it? So I was like, here it is, 1 John 5. Let's read this one with me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. How can you say no to that? And he's like, well, this is not in the original Greek. I was like, no, it is. And then he's like, no, it isn't. And then I go back and guess what? He's right. It is not in the original Greek. So I'm just, I'm trying to teach you guys this so you can know this. If you run into Jehovah Witness, don't use that verse as a testimony or as an evidence that we believe in the Trinity because it's not in the original Greek. Amen? Well, yes. Um, actually, there is almost no scripture in the Bible that, talks, that teaches the Trinity. But without our understanding of the Trinity, hundreds of scripture in the Bible won't even make any sense. Amen? So that's why we believe in the Trinity. Even though it's not explicit, it's implicit in the scripture. Without it, the, a lot of scripture won't even make any sense. So that is the first thing I want to let you know about, that there is some textual problem in that text. And verse 7 in King James, New King James, doesn't exist in the original Greek. But let's talk about Number two, the exegetical problem, the, the understanding of what John is trying to tell us here in verse 6. When he said, this is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. What in the world is John talking about here? Amen? So, there are many ways of trying to explain what John is talking about here. But there are three or four most prominent understanding. First one, I didn't even mention it here, is these are sacraments. The water and the blood is the baptism and the Lord's Supper. This is way off. I don't even, we need, we don't even need to discuss that. So this is up. Now that leaves us with the most three prominent understanding of the verse, which is number one, water and blood are purely symbolic. Okay. So bear with me. I need you to bear with me for a little bit. This is going to be boring for a little bit, but it's going to get better, okay? <laughs> this is purely symbolic. That's the first way of understanding that. They, the water represents Jesus cleansing of the outside of man, and the blood 
represent Jesus cleansing the inside of man. So what John is still trying to tell us here is this. Jesus came with a cleansing power to cleanse both the outside and the inside. He did not come with just the power to change the outside, but also to change the power of the inside. Amen? So that's one way of looking at it. It's problematic. This is not a good way to understanding that verse. Here is why. Jesus actually did come with physical blood, right? When he died on the cross and he shed his blood, he did come with physical blood, right? But he didn't come with physical water. So the problem with that understanding is we're trying to pick and choose. So we choose the water and understand it purely metaphorically, but the blood, which is actually physical, we, we try to say this is actual physical, but the water is not. And we're trying to pick and choose randomly to, to fit that understanding that water is metaphoric, the blood is literal, even though they both in the same verse should be treated the same way, okay? So this is not really a good way for me to understand what John is talking about here. The second way of understanding what John is talking about here is actually linked to John 19. You remember when Jesus was crucified and they were surprised that he died so early. So one of the Roman soldiers brought a spear and he pierced Jesus in his uh, side, right? And the Bible tells us that when Jesus was speared, was speared, water and blood came out of his body, right? This is what John, same author of the book that we're reading right now, said back in John 19. So some uh, commentators try to link that verse here to John 19 to the incidents when Jesus died on the cross and blood and water and blood came out of his body. Okay, so it's the same thing. That's what John is talking about here. Problems with that as well. Well, number one, that verse that we're just reading right here says that um, Jesus came by water and blood, right? Came in water and blood. But in the gospel of John, it says that Jesus, that water and blood came from Jesus. So that's different, okay? That seems like it's a different story to me. That's number one. Number two, um, if that was John's intention, that he's referring to the incidents when Jesus died on the cross, then the second part of that verse, Jesus did not come by water, only by water and blood, will not make any sense at all. That will not fit at all. And the idea that John was referring to John 19 when Jesus was pierced. Amen? Did I lose you guys already or not yet? No. Not yet? Okay, hang with me. We're almost done. But it's good. You need to, we need to know what the Bible says it and why the Bible is saying it. The third understanding of Jesus coming by water and blood, and this is the most plausible, is that Water refers to the baptism of Jesus when he started his public ministry. And the blood refers to the crucifixion of Christ, which ends his public ministry. So when John was saying that Jesus came with water and blood, John was literally referring to two historical events in the, in the ministry of Christ. The very beginning of it and the very end of it. Amen? And that makes the most sense. You know, you come meet me a year later, I might preach a different sermon that it's not what, what, the actual baptism and the actual crucifixion. But as of now, I think that would make the most sense. Why would that make most sense? That um, John was referring to the actual physical baptism of Christ and the actual physical um, death of Christ. Here is why. In verse 5, he says, Who who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So it seems like it 
naturally that in verse 6, he will try to continue what he was just trying to talk about in verse 5. Verse 5, he's saying that Jesus is the Son of God. Now he's telling us who is the Son of God. And he's saying that this Son of God is the one who came down from heaven, who was literally baptized in the beginning of his ministry, just to be a human like you and me. And then three, almost three years later, he was crucified. And then he rose again from the dead. So what John is telling us here is this. This very son of, of God became exactly the very son of man. And he became as human as you and I are. To the point that he was actually baptized like you and me would be baptized. And also crucified and shed his blood like you and I when we die and blood comes out of our bodies. So that's, I think, the point that John is trying to tell us here. That the very Son of God became down to be the very Son of Man. Amen? So that's, I think, the point here. And it says that Jesus has come by water and blood. In both incidences, we see that God is testifying to Jesus. And that would make sense that he came by water and by blood. Remember when he was baptized, what happened? The father on heaven said, this is my beloved son. So we have the approval of father here. And then when he died and he rose again, that's the whole purpose why God sent him. He sent him so he can go to the cross, so he can redeem mankind and fulfill, fulfill the salvation plan. Amen. And it also says that the spirit testifies to that. And we see the spirit testify at the baptism of Jesus, right? The dove came from heaven and rested on Jesus' shoulder. And we see the Spirit testify to him at the cross as well. Because when Jesus prayed in John 17, 1, he says, God, glorify me right now. And he said, once I'm being glorified, once I die and being raised from the dead, then the Holy Spirit will come and then the Holy Spirit will testify. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit is linked to Jesus' death and departure of, from this world. Amen? So do you guys, as much as you can... Get this with me, that when John was saying here that Jesus came by water and by blood, John was referring to both the physical baptism and the physical death of Christ. Jesus came not just by water, but by water and blood, right? Now, if we go with that understanding, Jesus came by water and blood, that the second part of the verse will be problematic. Why? So what exactly, let's say it's the baptism and the physical death of Christ. What is John talking about when he say, Jesus did not come by water only, but by water and blood? What is he talking about? This might be hard for you and me to understand, but it might be that people at John's time, who were reading his epistle at that time, did not find so much hard time understanding what John was referring to here. There is probably... People, hearer, and contemporary of John at that time who had no problem, listen to me, they had no problem saying that Jesus came in the flesh throughout the baptism experience, but they had some problems saying that the one who was crucified on the cross was human or has human nature in him. They have some problems with that. So John was trying to talk to his contemporaries and he said, Jesus was the son of God, was fully God, fully man throughout the whole time from that minute he was baptized till the minute he gave his last breath. He was fully God and fully man. He wasn't that his divinity and his humanity never depart from each other. He was fully God, fully man in the same time. Amen? All right. Last thing. These two scriptures here give us uh, an indication of the hearers of John, the readers of his book, what they thought. 
1 John 4, um, 3. Look at this. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. That gives us an indication of the people during John's time that some actually did believe that Jesus wasn't fully God, fully man in the same time. 2 John 7, he said, For many, what? Deceivers has gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So it seems to us from the writings of John that during his time, there was already some heresies against who Jesus is. And some was denying his divinity. Some was denying his humanity. So John wrote that to them to say, this very son of God who became the very son of man was fully God, fully man throughout his whole life and his whole ministry from the day he was baptized till the day he gave his last breath on the cross. Amen? All right, clear like mud? Okay, good. Let's, uh, if you didn't get anything what I said, <laughs> it's what we're saying here is this. When John said Jesus came by water and blood, he was referring to the baptism of Jesus and his death. Amen? But then John tells us later on in that passage that these three, the blood, the spirit, and the water, they testify. And later on in that passage, uh, he says after that, if we believe man's testimony, we should even believe God's testimony because God's testimony is greater. And he tells us about that testimony that God has regarding Jesus that was witnessed to you and me by three things. The water, the blood, and the spirit. In the water, we see Jesus being baptized. God, the Father, has his seal of, of approval on him that he's the one. He's the son in whom God pleases that will fulfill God's salvation plan. Amen? And in the blood, we see Jesus dying on the cross to fulfill the very reason why God has sent him into the world that he can be ransomed for many. Amen? And now the Holy Spirit is still testifying. Notice John said the Spirit testifies, not testified testifies, still testifies, the Holy Spirit still testifies to Jesus that he is the only Savior who, who is fully God and fully man who died on the cross to redeem us from our sins. Amen? So the blood, the water, and the Spirit witnesses to the very testimony of God that John tells us about here in verse 11 to 12. So let's read these two verses and see what is this testimony that the blood is testifying to, that the blood is witnessing to. Amen? Verse 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. Amen. From that we understand that eternal life. Number one. Eternal life is a free gift from God to man. Number two. And this life is in his son. From that we get the point that eternal life is in Jesus. Amen. And number three. He who has the Son has the life, and who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. We get from that that eternal life is exclusively in the Son of God. Amen? So this is the testimony. This is the message that is being witnessed, testified by the blood. Three points. Number one, eternal life is a free gift from God to man. Number two, eternal life can only can be found where? In Jesus, in the Son, and number three, that the eternal life is exclusively, it's only through Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? So let's talk about that a little bit. Number one, eternal life is a free gift from God to man. Amen? And guess what? This is the hardest thing that people 
having a hard time trying to believe and understand. You go out and witness to people and tell them, hey, you think you're going to go to heaven? Yes, I'm going to go to heaven. Why are you going to go to heaven? Because I am a good person. Everybody tells you that I'm a good person because it's people understanding that I have to earn heaven. Heaven is not a free gift. Heaven is something I need to work for and I have to earn heaven. Amen. And I have to tell you, so many people are so prideful and arrogant even to accept the fact that eternal life is just a gift from God to them. All what they have to do is just to humble themselves, repent from their sins, and come to God through the blood of Jesus. Amen? But the Bible is clear, and this is good news for everyone, that eternal life is a gift from God to you and me. Amen? We read that. John said that right here in John uh, 5, 1 John 5, 11. And God has given us eternal life. The word given here, the Greek word for it is to the, oh, the same word John used just a couple of chapters ahead when he said, what kind of love, John, 1 John 3, 1, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us. The same Greek word. What kind of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be Children, be be called children of God. So what John is telling us here is this. Eternal life is a gift from God to man. You cannot earn eternal life. You cannot work for it. You cannot end up deserving eternal life. Because nobody deserves it. Amen? That's not a big amen. Amen? Amen. Look at what Jesus said. John 10, 27 to 28. My sheep hears my voice and I know them and they follow me and I will reward them with eternal life, Jesus said, right? Nope, he didn't say that, did he? He didn't say I will reward them with eternal life. He said I will give them eternal life because Jesus is saying that eternal life is a gift from me to every single one of my sheep. They don't deserve it. They cannot earn it. It's because I'm a good and a gracious God. I'm going to give it to them as a free gift. Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans 6, 23, very famous scripture. For the wages of sin is, and the wages of God is eternal life. Amen? Now, nah, amen. <laughs> the wages of sin is death, but the gift, not the wages of God, is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What, what, what Paul is telling us this when you go to work, you expect a paycheck at the end of the week, right? And the more hours you put in it, the higher your wage is going to be, right? What Paul is telling us is this, when you sin against God, there's also a paycheck that you're going to get at the end of the day, right? And this paycheck called death, to be separated from God, a source of life for all eternity. And the Bible said that we all have sinned, every single one of us, none of us is righteous, not a single one. And because we all fell short before the glory of God, Jesus came from heaven, he died on the cross, and as we have been talking about him for the last three months, he when he died, he shed his blood to satisfy the justice and the wrath of God. Amen? And because Jesus paid the price, because eternal life is paid for already, now God is willing to give it to you and me as a free gift. Amen? Amen. Jesus said that I will give you eternal life. It's a gift from him to us. Not because it's cheap. It's gift. It's a free gift because he paid for it on the cross. Does that make sense? It's like this. It's like this. Brother Emmanuel, you have a laptop in your hand. Let's say I go work for a full week, save the money, go buy the laptop and give it to you as a free gift. Amen? Now, the, the laptop in itself is not free. He got it for free, but I paid for it, right? 
This is what Jesus did. He died on the cross and he paid for our eternal life. He took our judgment and our wrath. And because of that, now eternal life is a free gift from God to man. Amen? But good news, number two, life can only be found in the Son of God. Jesus is the life. And without him, there is no life. Amen? Here is what John says, 1 John 5.11. And this life is where? In his son. This is God's testimony. This is what God is telling every single soul in this world. That life is where? In his son. And apart from him there is no life. And it's not just one random scripture that we're basing that on. Look at what John said. First John 4, 9. Look at this. In this the love of God was manifest among us. That God sent his one and only son into the world that we might do what? Live. How? Through him. It's not by being good people. It's only through Jesus that we can live. Amen? First John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him. Who? The Son of God. Who is true. I apologize. That's the Father. Know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. Who is that Jesus Christ? Look at this. He is the true God and what? Eternal life. His name is eternal life. His identity is eternal life. Eternal life is who Jesus is. Amen. He is the true God and eternal life. John 1, 4. In him was life. And life was the light of man. John eleven twenty five. 25. Look at Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. I am the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. Amen. Now look at this. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life, Jesus said. There is no life apart from me. What a bold claim can anyone make about himself. Amen. John 14, 19. Yet in a little while, and the world will see me no more. And you will see me. And because I live... You will also live. See, our life is dependent on Jesus. Because he lives, we live. If he doesn't live, we don't live. Amen? Amen. Colossians 3, 4. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen? The life can only be found in Jesus. Without him, there is no life. Every single soul that is trying to reach out to God is dead. And the only one who can give them life is Jesus, amen? In him is life. But the last thing is, Jesus is not only a life giver, he's the only life giver, amen? Look at this, verse 12. He who has the son has the life. How about those who don't have the son? And those who do not have the son, and he who does not have the son does not have the life. What is John is telling us here is this. Life can be found exclusively in Jesus. Amen. Apart from him, there is no life whatsoever. Amen. It doesn't matter if you're sincere or not sincere. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you know about Jesus. It doesn't matter if you never knew about Jesus. It doesn't matter if you go to the church every single day. It doesn't matter if you don't even know what a church is. Life can only be found in the Son of God. Amen? Amen. 
It's about time to put this nonsense that all roads lead to Rome, all religions are good. As long as you're sincere, you're going to make it to heaven. Yes, you know what? Somebody said this. All roads might lead to Rome, but not all roads lead to God. Amen? Amen. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense to say that all religions are good and you can make it to heaven on your own. Think about this. Think about it. Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. These are the largest three religions in the world, right? I think combined they have about 4.5 billion followers or something like that, you know? Think about it. If you, if you die, here's what these religions will tell you. If you're a Hindu, they tell you if you die, you're going to come back to earth in a, in a higher or lower format, right? If you're a Muslim, then, well, if you're a man, you're very lucky. You're going to be in paradise for all eternity having sex with all these women, right? 70 versions if you die in jihad and the unlimited woman. There's just no count there. It's totally up to you. That's the Muslim version of what happened to you when you die. Supposedly, you make it. And then in Christianity, you, the Bible tells us that heaven is going to be this place where God will dwell with man and we're going to worship him for all eternity. Amen? So think about it. If these religions, I mean, obviously Christianity is the truth. I'm showing the point that if they don't even agree what's going to happen to you after you die, how can they all be the same? Does that make sense? They don't even tell you you're going to go to the same place, right? It's just, there's only one way to heaven, and that is Jesus. Amen? And honestly, every religion is exclusive in its own rights. If you're a Muslim, they tell you the same thing. There is no way to God, to Allah, except through Islam. And Hinduism will tell you the same thing. It is illogical to say that all roads lead to Rome. Because even people who argue that all religions are right and all religions lead to God, they themselves are being exclusive. You get that? Because they say, here's what they say in an essence. They're saying, everybody who has an opinion about getting to heaven through their own way is wrong because my, the only right opinion is mine, which is there's all ways that lead to God. Does that make sense? So they are exclusive in their own right because they're saying, if you say it's only Christianity, only Islam, and Hinduism, this is a wrong opinion because the only right opinion is my opinion, which is all roads lead to Rome. Amen? So... The whole concept is not even logical, not to mention that it's not even biblical. Amen? John 3.36, look what John said here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. How about those who don't believe in the Son? Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You won't even see it from afar. But the wrath of God remains on him. Amen? John 14.6, Jesus said to him, listen to this, I am... The way, that truth, and that life. Listen, Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And just in case you're wondering what that actually means, if he really meant that he's the only way to heaven, look what he said after that. No one can come to the Father except by me. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Sometimes I act like I am, but I'm not. But even me, I get it. When says Jesus, no one, it simply means what? No one. And there are 7 billion people in this world. According to the words of Jesus here, how many you think are going to make it to heaven in any other way apart from Jesus? How many? No one. No one come to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Acts 4.12, look what Peter said. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given upon men by which we must be saved. Amen? 
There is no salvation in the name of Allah. There is no salvation in the name of Muhammad. There is no salvation in the name of Buddha. There is no salvation in the name of self-righteousness. There is no salvation in the name of the Christian Missionary Alliance or in the Baptist Church. It doesn't matter. There is no other name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved except one name. Can you guys shout it out? What is it? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. He's the only way to heaven. And that is the testimony of God the Father. That there is, He want to give us life as a free gift. This life is in His Son. And He's the only way to reach God. Amen. Amen. Is that fair? To say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Guess what? It is so fair. You know why? Because he's the only one who died on the cross. He's the only one who who bore upon himself the wrath and the judgment of God. So he can actually take the wrath off us. So we can actually have eternal life. Amen? Amen? And because he died, because he shed his blood, because he rose again. He has every right to be the only way to God. Amen? Let's all come to God in prayer. Yes, Lord.